0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: His own physical family didn't believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. They thought that he was nuts. So much for family support, huh? As I've shared, I know that some of you have that same situation. Even today, you've been praying for your family to come to faith in Christ. that They themselves would get saved, that they would become part of the kingdom of God. And yet, even at that, they mock you. Let me encourage you, don't give up. Continue praying, because
0: God's not done yet. When we choose to live our lives according to God's word, there's a good chance we'll experience persecution. Just look at Noah. Imagine the ridicule he endured while he constructed the ark then take a look at Jesus. He was mocked, rejected, beaten, and eventually killed. So believer, when you're taunted, teased, and harassed when you make a stand for the name of Jesus, don't be discouraged. Understand that God is in control. Submit to him. He'll take care of the rest. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Jude, chapter 1, verse 1, with part 1 of our message entitled, Jude, Contending for the Faith, an Introduction.
1: In the opening verses, we receive Jude's introduction, his greeting to the church at large. And there in verse 1, we begin reading, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, Believe it or not, there is a tremendous amount just in those first couple of verses. Now, this whole book was written about 30 to 35 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus, written probably in the neighborhood of around 64 to 69 A.D. So with that in mind, you need to understand that the church was very young at that point in time. And as Jude writes, he's not writing to... A particular church, as we read uh, with Paul in the church uh, of Ephesus, as he was writing to them. No, Jude writes to the church at large. His full name was actually Judas, and in the Greek, that's what the word is, but in our English translations, it's translated as Jude, and that was done very early on, and again, I believe it was primarily to help differentiate between who is writing here and Judas Iscariot, just so, again, people wouldn't be concerned about that, but Judas uh, and Jude was was a very popular name during that time. You can just think of Jude as being kind of like uh, Ed to uh, the name Edward, uh, that again, it's a shorter version of it. Jude, the writer of this epistle, he understood, even at that early point in church history, that certain men had crept in unnoticed to bring destructive heresies into the fellowships. These destructive heresies were bad doctrine that they were coming and bringing into the church. And everything sounded good, but yet they were bringing in that deceit that was, again, bringing destruction, bringing, again, attacks within what God had brought the church together to do. They came in, as Jude tells us, they came in unnoticed. So they didn't come in with the, the idea and the look of, uh, well, if you remember the old cartoon character, Snidely Whiplash, you know, the, with a big handlebar mustache, and you just knew he was evil when he walked in the door. No, they crept in unnoticed. They crept in as individuals that you and I would, would welcome into the fellowship And then as they got in as part of the fellowship, then their destructive heresies, their bad doctrine began creeping into the fellowship. It's the same trick of the enemy that the enemy has had all along. Satan is a great deceiver. He comes in as an angel of light, doesn't he? He comes in not suddenly with uh, uh, horns and a, and a pitchfork tail and, and a red suit. No, he comes in looking like something that very attractive, very pleasing, to where we would welcome him if we're not discerning, if we're not understanding, if we're not watching in the Spirit. He comes in to make things sound reasonable, to to make things sound safe and good, giving us this false sense of security. We let our guards down, and again, suddenly his false doctrines are upon us. Jude is writing this warning, he writes against the deceitfulness of these false teachers that are coming in. Again, any false teacher that would bring either a partial truth or a false or a twisted doctrine, again, bringing damage to the church and chipping away again at the foundation and at the strength of what the Word of God declares to him. It was happening in the earliest history of the church, and that's what amazes me. We're only talking 30-some years since the time of Christ. It was happening then in a big way, and a lot of our New Testament letters to the churches deal with this idea of false doctrine that's creeping in even then. Well, now we're 2,000 years later. I don't think it's gotten any better. As a matter of fact, I think it's gotten worse. And to where, again, we need to be aware. We need to be on our toes. We need to have our eyes and our ears wide open. We need to be balanced in the Word of God in order that we might understand through the context of all of God's Word whenever doctrine or heresies are brought before us. It happens as, again, as the fellowship of believers are taken in unaware. We need to be aware. You and I as individuals need to be aware of it. And as we go through this study of Jude, we're going to be looking at some of these subversive things that, again, these false teachers, these, uh, again, he even calls them these dreamers, these defilers, uh, again, bring within the fellowship. Before we actually get into the message of Jude, though, I want to take this morning as more of a time of introduction into the book to understand who Jude was and why he would even be writing to the church, why he in particular would be writing to the church. And again, we see at the very first verse, he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Let's think for a moment about family. Family is a wonderful thing. Well, most of the time, right? Well, maybe some of the time. I guess it really kind of depends upon who your family is, is how great of a thing it is. Now, I have to tread very lightly here. I have to be very careful, because both my mother and my brother are here today. I've got a great family, and I'm... Again, I'm blessed by it, because they are supportive, and some families are very supportive. They support you in your faith and in the calling of God in your life, and your family stands behind you and encourages you in that. And yet there are some families that have absolutely no clue of what your faith in Christ is all about. There are some families that encourage each other in their walk in the Lord, encourage each other to be committed followers of Jesus Christ, and yet there's other families that wonder, why in the world do you spend so much time at church? I mean, after all, isn't Easter and Christmas good enough? I mean, that's plenty for anybody, isn't it? Because they don't get it, they they just have absolutely no clue. They're they're really blown away about the again the, about your willingness to be a faithful volunteer to to serve in areas of ministry in the church. Some are blown away. You'd go to a foreign country? Are you out of your mind? Why don't you stay here where it's safe? Those people are those. People, they've got to take care of that on their own. They don't get it. They don't understand. They don't understand why you would be giving financially. They don't get it because they've never experienced new life in Christ. They don't get it. They don't understand what a true relationship with Jesus Christ is is all about. They think, in essence, that you and I have joined, again, a club membership down at the local church. And as part of the membership in this club, you and I have to pay dues on a regular basis. And as part of our membership in this local club called the church, we're called to volunteer every once in a while as part of that membership. They just don't get it. They don't understand. They never realized that it's a personal growing relationship with the Lord God of all the universe. And you know what? Until they enter into that, they'll never get it. They will never get it. But don't worry, and don't lose hope. Number one, you're not alone in that situation. Even in the early ministry of Jesus, we we read of his time with his family. The Gospel record of John in chapter 2, again, we we read about the Savior's first miracle, and most of you remember that, don't you? The, The wedding at Cana of Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine. And the Baptists, ever since, have been trying to turn the wine into water, but that's a whole other story. Let's just move on. Uh, His extended family was with him at that wedding, along with his disciples. We read it. In fact, you can turn there if you would. Uh, We'll we'll bounce back to Jude here a little bit later, but turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 2. In John 2, beginning in verse 11, we read these words. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested His glory. Now, again, He was showing the greatness and the majesty of who He was, God in flesh, the Messiah, the Christ, there before the people. He manifested His glory. And it says, and His disciples believed in Him. Verse 12, And after this He went down to Capernaum, He and His mother, his brothers and his disciples. You see, there's a, a great uh, difference there between his brothers and his disciples. And we're going to see that this morning as we look through these passages. It says, and they didn't stay there many days, but the one thing that John makes very clear is that Mary, his mother, and his brothers, along with his disciples, were with him. I don't know what your church tradition or background is for all of you, but I do know for some of you this may be a stretch this morning. It's going to cause you to rethink something that for tradition you've, you've kind of uh, had to reprocess a little bit. But Jesus had half brothers and half sisters. They weren't his cousins. They were children of Mary and Joseph, who were born after Jesus was born. And there's a lot of clues that we get throughout Scripture to help us to be able to understand this real relationship of Jesus and these brothers and sisters. First of all, they're never mentioned. These brothers are never mentioned in the Gospels unless Mary is also mentioned with them. If they were cousins, Mary wouldn't have that big of a connection there. And these always, throughout it, they use the word brothers for them. Now, I understand that that word brother can be used in many ways scripturally, and we even apply it differently also. Roger, you're my brother, but we have absolutely no physical connection, it's a spiritual connection. But my brother Duane, or Bear, he is both my brother physically as well as my brother spiritually. So that use we see throughout Scripture. In the Greek, there is an appropriate word to say cousins. In other words, if they weren't really his brothers or his sisters, if they were a distant or a close relative, there's another word they could have used. And again, on another route, we see if they were the children of Joseph and some say in their tradition that they were children of Joseph from a previous marriage where his first wife had passed away leaving Joseph a widower with these other children well if that were the case then why don't we read about them as Joseph and Mary who was great with child traveled from Nazareth down to Bethlehem where were these other children when they went from Bethlehem again to get away from Herod's threats and went down to Egypt we don't read anything about the other children when they go from Egypt to once again go back up to Nazareth, we don't read anything about the other children at all. In reality the only way that that you wouldn't consider what the clear writing of the scripture declares as brothers and sisters is if you had this preconceived notion or, or teaching in your life that Joseph and Mary never had physical relation at all. And again, depending upon the doctrine, tradition, or the the church tradition that you come from, that may be the teaching that you're under. But yet the Word of God speaks differently. Turn to Matthew chapter 1 with me, if you would. Matthew 1. And again, this is the story of of Joseph's encounter with, with the angel, as the angel is speaking to Joseph and saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child that she has is of the Holy Spirit. And so again, we we understand that Joseph understood what was going on with Mary. But in Matthew chapter 1, down in verse 25, the King James Version reads that he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus, he knew her not till. In the New International Version, same verse, it reads, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. In the New Revised Standard Version, verse 25, reads, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. Do you see how that little word, till or until, makes all the difference in the world? And it's in there, and it's in there for a purpose. Although Jesus himself was born of Mary by the Holy Spirit, there was no earthly father involved. There were other children that were born into the union of Mary and Joseph. Jesus had half-brothers and sisters, and the Scripture seems to be very clear about this in a lot of places, and again, you have to have another preconceived notion to read that Scripture and say, well, no, they weren't really his brothers, they were something else. And I'm making such a big deal about this this morning in order to help you to understand the dynamics of the relationship during the earthly ministry of Jesus, because it's important for you to know Basically, the brothers of Jesus thought that he was nuts. Okay, They thought that he was out of his mind. They thought that he was insane. They thought that he was about a sandwich short of a picnic. Okay, He wasn't all there. And that's the attitude that his brothers had through his ministry. There were times that they taunted him because of, again, what he was representing to them. And they didn't believe it. Look with me in the Gospel of John. John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, beginning in verse 2, we read these words. It says, Now the Jewish feast of tabernacles was at hand. And his brothers, verse 3, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, let's stop right there. Do you think that maybe his brothers were trying to be the greatest PR team for Jesus' ministry? No, no, that's not the case. They weren't acting in a in a positive way toward Jesus. And we know that because of the very next verse. The very next verse, verse 5 says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. You see, they were taunting him. Oh, you're the Messiah. Then why don't you go on ahead? You want to show yourself? Go on ahead. Go on ahead. They were, again, just this, this push, this tease, because, again, they did not believe in him. As Jesus' ministry continued to grow and the number of his followers continued to increase, his brothers still didn't believe in him, even though they saw miracles happening before their very eyes. Even though they heard firsthand the teachings of Jesus, they still didn't believe in him. In the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read of an incident that took place during the highest time of Jesus' popularity in Galilee. Uh, again, a, a large crowd had pressed against this house where Jesus was. Look with me, if you would, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. And again, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, speak of this story, but it's most clearly given to us in Mark, chapter 3. In Mark 3, and all the way down into verse 19, speaks about how they went into the house, the last part of verse 19. They went into the house, and then in verse 20 it says, Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. That, in other words, the press against them was so much, they didn't even have time for dinner. They didn't have time to take a break at all. There was such a crowd, such a press of people that was there. In verse 21 it says, But when his own people... You can circle or underline that little phrase, when his own people. When his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, what? He's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. What is this? own people. The New King James Version, again, uses that phrase, when his own people. If you have a King James Version this morning, yours reads, when his friends. But again, the actual Greek phrase there has the meaning, a literal translation of those from the side of him, those that were closest to him. And although it could have a, a, you know, a variety of meanings, Most scholars look at it and say it most likely means his kin people, his family that were there. And nearly all other translations actually read it that way, his family. We get a little better understanding of that relationship and the clarity of what they're speaking about, The again, his own people, a little bit later in that same chapter. It's the same incident that's taking place in the same chapter, a little bit further down in verse 31. Same thing going on, it's just an extension of the same event. In verse 31 of Mark 3, we read, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So first off, we see Jesus really differentiating between this physical relationship of his mom and his brother's, and the spiritual relationship of those, again, who were his followers. I know for many of you, your your Christian family, your Christian brothers and sisters are closer to you even than your own flesh and blood family because your flesh and blood family perhaps are non-believers, and your walk in the Lord is a point of contention almost every time you get together. And it becomes a real struggle. And so again, when we say brother to each other, it is that kind of an attitude. You're as close to me as a brother because there's like-mindedness in that, like attitude, like understanding of it. But the second thing that I want you to also see in this is we see how his physical family, again, thought that he was either insane or that he was possessed. At that same place, there were the scribes, the, the lawyers that had come uh, down from Jerusalem. And they thought the same thing a little bit earlier in that passage. In verse 22, it says uh, that uh, the scribes were saying that he has Beelzebub and by the rulers of demons he casts out demons. It's understandable that the religions of the world or the religious people of the world didn't connect with Jesus. But he's also really clear here about the disconnect between Jesus and his own physical family. His own physical family didn't believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. They thought that he was nuts. So much for family support, huh? And as I've shared, I know that some of you have that same situation, even today. You've been praying for your family to come to faith in Christ, that they themselves would get saved, that they would become part of the kingdom of God, and yet even at that, they mock you. Let me encourage you, don't give up. Continue praying. Because God's not done yet. A little bit later when Jesus went back to minister in his hometown of Nazareth, remember the story, he went to the synagogue and he was speaking to them there in the synagogue. But yet at that point in time there was a rejection of the entire community as well as his family. Again, the incident is found in uh, both Matthew and Mark, and both Matthew and Mark give a list of the names of Jesus' half-brothers. Staying in Mark, if you're there, flip over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, the leaders of the community, uh, down in verse 3, said, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us?
0: In this day and age in which we live, it's easy to get distracted by everything that's going on around us. The hustle and bustle of life tends to keep us from the things that are truly important as followers of Christ. While there's simply no substitute for the personal reading of God's word, programs like The Open Word are huge blessings that God uses in the discipleship of countless people. We want to be sure that you're utilizing all the resources available to you. Remember, you can subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. The Open Word Podcast is always available and completely free. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, for more information about The Open Word, Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande, or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Jude. That's next time on The Open Word.